Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. With German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right every time. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, your everyday podcast with the latest goings on in the Premier League. If you want more from us, then you can get your latest news on your team from our daily smart speaker news updates as well. That's 60 second roundups with all the latest on your team, whoever you support in the Premier League. To find them, all you have to do with your Alexa is just say Open Sport Social and we'll do the rest. But in terms of podcast stuff, well, on today's podcast, we've got Nar McCorn and Adam Brown. Good hey. day, gents. Uh, Jim, you okay? I'm good, thanks. Up yourselves? Yeah, I'm very good. Yeah, not, really too very good. good. not too bad. Very weather's m- getting me down. Oh, a bit, we're in Manchester where we record this podcast, and it rains a lot in Manchester. But, I mean, over the last two weeks, it has rained an insane amount. It's like, it, it's like living in... Atlantis or something like that, <laughs> I guess. But on today's podcast, well, we're going to talk about Manchester. We're going to pick over the bones of Manchester City versus West Ham as City picked up three points against one of the most negative teams I think I've seen play in the top division. If that's the level of David Moyes' ambition, then the Hammer should just wave goodbye to the Premier League now. We'll talk about that game shortly. We're also going to talk Spurs, no Sun, no Kane. But is there also no hope? Firing blanks in Europe and Jose Mourinho is reverting to the anti-football that he knows and loves. Plus, we'll take a look at the Europa League too. There's action for Wolves, Arsenal and Manchester United. They're all in action tonight right across the continent. So we'll talk about that shortly as well. But let's kick off with a wet and windy Etihad Stadium. Been a busy week for Manchester City and I was half expecting a pretty big reaction from the players and the management against West Ham last night. Did they react in the way that you thought they might, Adam? Um, do you know what? It's a, it's a really tough one because I wasn't really know, knowing what to expect. I mean, for me, it was just a, a business as usual kind of performance in a way. I know we've been a bit shaky this season at, at times, but um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was happy with what I saw. I don't really know what... When we're saying like we expect a big result. Would we expect to, them to go out and win 6-0 and go, well, they... I don't, you know, do you know what I mean? It's hard to know what the right response would be on the pitch. You, there's nothing else you'd expect other than to pick yeah. up a victory. If Sheikh Mansour and Kaldun Al Mubarak and Ferran Soriano were Man City players, I think you might have won six. <laughs> yeah, 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 because yeah. they would have been really angry after the UEFA ruling. But 
Pep Guardiola and the players, I think they've been told, don't worry, mm. we're going we're gonna to sort yeah. this out by the top brass at the club. And I think if the players had maybe more to do with the situation above board level at, at Manchester City, I think maybe we would have seen a more angry performance. But as Adam says, for the players, it is just business as usual. And I think they know the league's gone. Uh, it was just a matter of, you know, getting back to winning ways or, you know, not that they were losing before, but, you know, getting back yeah. on on the straight and narrow, doing what Man City do. I mean, the best way to breed confidence is to win. I mean, get the mm-hmm. cliche bell ready. But, I mean, that's one of them things, isn't it, where you're coming up against a team who are struggling down the bottom of the table and you can always kind of come unstuck against those sort mm-hmm. of teams. But, as Adam says, it was just a, it was as business as usual for I mean, City. Business as usual is a good description of the scoreline. 2-0, yep. Kevin De Bruyne pulling the strings. It was kind of as you'd expect. It could have been a lot more. It could have been six or seven, particularly if it hadn't been from some poor finishing from Gabriel Jesus, who has been, there's been a lot of debate about Jesus over this season. He spurned a couple of chances against West Ham last night where he really, you would have expected him to score. And he was the chosen one. He is the man that was tipped to replace Sergio Aguero. And fans seem to be losing a bit of faith that he will fulfil mm. that potential now. Yeah, I mean, we I know on the podcast a couple of months back, we, we had this uh, a similar conversation about if Aguero goes, who, who's going to kind of take over that mantle. But I think every time, you know, there, there was an argument for a long time with, with him that he wasn't getting the opportunities and he was coming on for 20 minutes here and there. And how can you really sort of, you know kind of get yourself into a game mm. or playing 15, 20 minutes here and there. But we've seen him, when we have seen him start, for me, he, he has missed a hell of a lot of chances. And I do worry that his chances are running out now. I think if we can get a good option uh, in the summer, I do think he might be on his way. Or I think it'll be a case of uh, people say to him, listen, you, we've got this guy now, your game time's going to be, you know, diminished even I mean, further. He's still dead young. He's isn't so he's, young. He, he yeah. is very, very young. But I, I, I just... I don't think he's the man who's going to... He's not our long-term plan, put it that way, but mm. I do think he could go and be the guy somewhere else, but I just don't mm. think he's going to be at City. I'm going to stick up for Gabby. I'm going to stick up for him because I think, as you said, Jim, he's very young, and the only saving grace for me is if he was, for instance, Tottenham striker, and you know there was no Harry Kane... He'd be injured. He, yeah, maybe he could be injured, <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't think he would last more than a couple of seasons because they don't create as many chances as Man City mm. do. And I think because Man City creates so many chances and you've got players like Silva and De Bruyne on the pitch, you're always going to get opportunities. Yeah. And even though we saw him kind of, he tried to dummy, didn't he? Try to sort of sell the goalkeeper yeah. um, and get Fabianski down to the ground early and then try and put it the other side of him. But then the defenders came back. We saw that a couple of times. He missed some chances. I thought it was interesting that Pep played Jesus and Aguero at the same time, I haven't seen that too often. No. I don't know what the he's thinking done it a was there. Times this season, though, hasn't he? Yeah, but it's not not all the time that it happens, and it's just a decision making from Jesus. And I think that just goes to show he has got a lot to learn. I mean, Aguero in that situation would have just shot straight away. Yeah, I don't think you would have seen him trying to put I a wondered, goalkeeper on his is ass. Is it a confidence thing? Because I, when I mean, he looks like he's about to cry all the time, which probably doesn't help. <laughs> he's kind of got that facial expression. But is it kind of a case of him? He needs that run and he needs to score more goals. So he, he becomes more predatory almost. He is confident because, as you say, he should have Aguero hit Aguero is predatory. Time. I think that's a really good way to put it. He scores a lot of, Aguero scores a lot of his goals inside the box, inside the six-yard box. But we've mm-hmm. also seen he can take shots from outside and do some amazing things. I just think, yeah, Jesus is his decision-making. And he'll still learn that. Like, was he 23, 22, mm. 23? His record is unbelievable. Mm. I mean, he's also got like almost one in two record for Manchester City. It's, it's an unbelievable I mean, record. I still fancy him to do the job and replace Aguero when his time's finally up. I still fancy him to be one of the best strikers in the Premier League. I just think because he's playing, you know, second fiddle to one of the best strikers we've seen ever, 
mm. in the top yeah, flight of English football than it's, it's, it, Absolutely. And I think he's doing a fine job. I think there are going to be question marks over his decision making, but I think give it a couple of years when he's 25, 26, I think he'll be world class. Yes. You know, maybe I am being a bit harsh on him. Um, when we first got him, I think in a weird way, when we first got him, he seemed so exciting. He was like 19 and he was he went on a great sort of run instantly as soon as we got him. And I was like, wow, this guy is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously his, his chances have been quite limited by, by Aguero just one staying because there's that kind of question mark a couple of seasons ago about whether Pep was going to get rid of him and yeah. you know who's going to kind of step up and for a while I've thought actually if Guerrero goes maybe he's ready but since then he's kind of uh, you know his chances have been a bit more limited he has kind of missed quite a few but like Niall said his record is still incredible and, and I, I do worry that if we get rid of him too soon we, we've seen it before in the Premier League when we've when we've had strikers who have shown a lot of potential but they've not quite been the number one striker I mean look at like Lukaku when he was at Chelsea. He was kind of he never quite got the opportunity because he's always behind a Drogba or a Torres or whoever was there at the time. So I just wonder if if we do kind of pull the trigger too quick on him and we let mm. him go, you can you can bet that it'll be in Italy or Spain and he'll be scoring thirty goals a season. And there's pressure on him to be the man to replace Aguero. This is fan pressure. This is not coming from the club. Do you remember what Pep Guardiola said when Gabriel Jesus first joined Manchester City? Do you remember how he described him? No, what did he say? Described him as a watermelon. And he, he, he said, because you never know what's inside until you open up the watermelon, i.e. we've got a prospect here, but we don't know whether he's the one yet. So yeah, yeah. the pressure isn't coming from the club, it is coming from that fan expectation. He's scored nine Premier League goals this season in 22 appearances. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad, considering if he had played all of the games this season. Yeah. Um, and bear in mind, twenty two starts. Or no, that's twenty two appearances, appearances that's, and nine yeah, as a sub. Decent. Nine yeah. as a sub. So really, you're talking what's that? My maths is terrible. But that? I bet his minutes as well, because he might have been 13, subbed off in some of yeah, the games. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen starts by yeah. roughly, and nine goals in thirteen starts. It's not bad as well because when you've not got the consistent run like that, it's very hard to kind of get a run together of, of, of scoring goals, isn't it? You know, if you're in mm-hmm. and out of the team, maybe played out of position slightly, because obviously what they've done is when they play Aguero and uh, Jesus together. It's you know you you're probably being moved around a little bit. Mm. He's being put out wide at times, so his record actually isn't that bad. I just think it's one of them where his misses seem to get more focused than his goals for some reason. I don't know why. West Ham didn't make it easy yesterday, and I want to know what you guys thought about the way West Ham set up last night because they kind of tried to do what Atletico did to Liverpool without the players that Atletico have got. So the squad was incredibly. Defensive. It was five at the back, and then Sky Sports were showing it as a 5-3-2 formation. Essentially, it was 5-5. It was two banks of five, three holding midfielders mm. in front of a five-man defence. It was damage limitation all the way from David Moyes, and I suppose he kind of achieved that to a certain extent with How? a 2-0 loss. That's it... not damage limitation. You've lost the game. West Ham have lost the game, and David Moyes has really frustrated me over the last but two this days. But this was his ambition. His ambition I, in that game I, wasn't to draw it. That's it was not ambition. not concede That's six not goals. ambition. No, that, it was his ambition. But this is the thing. I, can't even, I don't even think you can use the word ambition as a descriptive term to fit... No. His his aim was to lose the game by less goals. You're still losing the game, gaining zero points. It's matter if you lose two 0 or but six. Is he nil. thinking? What well, end of the season? What if it does come down to goal difference? Well, <laughs> it's a, a crazy way of thinking. thinking. So if it's you're going to lose, if you're going to lose, rather lose three two or, or whatever than lose two nil. I mean, at least you got there's a goal deficit there, you know. And if it comes down, then it's that tight on goal difference. It might come down to goals scored, mm. which West Ham aren't very good at. No. Scoring goals, <laughs> right? So we spoke on yesterday's podcast, and this is why I'm getting a bit angry about this. I mean, David Moyes came out in his pre-match press conference and said, I don't think I'm going to throw Jared Bowen straight in the team. And we, we were all asking why. Mm. He signed him for 20 million quid 
last two seasons in the championship, he's been good. He's played well this season for Hull. You've signed him. I don't think there's any pressure on the kid at all because he's coming from the championship. And if he doesn't keep West Ham up, oh, it's just a kid from the championship. If he does keep West Ham up, he's the hero. So there's nothing to lose. And also, he brought Bowen on for the last 10 minutes. Right, so the game was pretty much already dead there. I mean, unless he's an absolute genius, he's not going to get West Ham back into the game or get any points out of the game. He didn't play Haller. He didn't play Anderson. He didn't play Lanzini. What's he doing? Is he trying to get West Ham relegated? We spoke yesterday saying, is he written off the Man City and Liverpool games, which are your next two fixtures at West Ham? I think that's 100% what but he's I done. I think it's, a, it's foolish yeah. because this is the Premier League. And as good as Liverpool and Manchester City are, we've seen Manchester City be more fragile this season than we've seen ever under yeah. Pep. Yeah. So why not just give it a go because you don't know? And Liverpool is more understandable to kind of write that game off. But this, like I say, it's the Premier League. We know anything can happen. I was just absolutely stunned by the negativity of David Moyes. And the games are running out for West Ham. Yeah. The fixtures are really, really stacked against the club. So I, I was stunned to see how negative he actually went. And, and you what? see the, the two, I mean, Antonio and Snodgrass are the two, you know, I mean, obviously I know Antonio's a versatile player and, and he's played there, you know, countless times for West Ham. But, you know, the, 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 that's the strike partnership. There was no outlet. There was no there's, outlet. There's no strikers really on the pitch, you could no. argue. Hello on the bench. What concerns yeah. me? And Bowen, who's been yeah. probably the best player in the championship, like Niall said. In, great player. The sort of player that you, you know, is a bit talismanic in a way. You can bring him on. And for me, I, I'd be trying to build it around him. What concerns me was the comments that Moyes made after the game. And he almost talked as if it had been a successful operation. He talked about how well drilled the defence have been. When, in <sighs> truth... They were, particularly before the first goal went in, we actually looked marginally better when City scored the first one and they did try to get out of their first half a little bit. But the defence was just so incredibly static. But it doesn't matter because you lost. Well, no, I mean, it, this is the fundamental basics of football. Oh, we're happy with the performance. Why? You've, no, no, this is what I'm lost saying. the game. This is what I'm saying. He's happy with a 2-0, but it should, have, it should have been a 6. How can you it be happy with a 2-0 defeat when you're in the relegation zone? Because in, David, because in David Moyes' head, this is what he wants Which to achieve. Which is what I don't understand. No, Which it's is crazy. Why I, I wanted to ask you, actually, Jim, as a West Ham fan, is it time to change the formation? Instead of going for five, five at the back, five in midfield, whatever, is it time to go old school, 4-4-2? With the, with the players that West Ham have got, is 4-4-2 a better option? The best players that West Ham have got suit that formation, in my opinion. So you can have Haller and Antonio up front in a two. Mm. You can have Bowen on the right of a midfield. You can have Snodgrass on the left. You've got Suchek and Rice in the centre of midfield, or Noble, whoever you want to put in there. And then your back four stays as your back four. And obviously Fabianski in net, the back four that we just mentioned, and then those other players that I've just spoken about, the other six players. I think that is the best way West Ham can go this season. I think the big... And then you've got options like Felipe Anderson, and you've got options like Lanzini to bring off the bench. Um, if you want to go attacking, you can start those players. I mean, I'm not a football manager and I haven't managed 200, 300 Premier League games, whatever David Moyes has managed. But I think 4-4-2, it might just be a time to try something. And when you're going to get spanked anyway by Liverpool or City, why not try it then? Because if it is just damage limitation and you've got nothing to lose, why not mix it up? Because it might work. It's, you're right. It's down to personnel and the personnel West Ham got. And it's it's the recruitment that's been done around the club. And we've talked about West Ham's recruitment before. But bringing in a player like Seb Heller, who plays better as a two, yeah. and then playing him with two managers who want to play him as a single striker mm. it doesn't work it fundamentally doesn't work but yeah the players are there <laughs> at West Ham they, there is a good team there somewhere but finding the manager who can get a tune out of them hasn't been easy hasn't been possible I mean the, looking at the evidence of last night and looking at the evidence of the previous games since we made the switch from Emmanuel Pellegrini to David Moyes David Moyes has been a huge mistake we would have been better off sticking with Manuel Pellegrini and not playing the 
the clause in his contract and getting rid of him and the huge outlet that that cost, we should have just stuck with him because David Moyes has had no impact. I'd even be tempted, if I was in charge of West Ham, I'd be tempted to switch it up again and get rid of Moyes and bring someone else in that can organise the team and can get them playing with a bit of fire and a bit of passion and can do something because that's what West Ham needs. They need to do something. And what we saw against Manchester City yesterday was them doing nothing. <laughs> that's the thing, like... When you sort of name that four four two lineup, then now you think to yourself, they're not bad. In terms on paper, the, the, the players they've got are all right, but it's finding the system. And I do worry uh, about West Ham. And obviously, Jim, you've been a West Ham fan. I mean, what happens if they go down? That I, 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 I've got this big worry that well, Moyes is, it won't stay, which is fine. But you got to think, who did he get then? Well, I think, but I, think worry, we, I think if we went down, that is the circumstance in which Moyes would stay. Actually, oh, but you lose. I think you're going to lose seven of your starting eleven, yeah. maybe at least. There's a lot of players there who, yeah. and also once you've gone down, you can't command those transfer fees that you can command when you're in the Premiership as well, because they know the player wants to go 100. percent So you like more like Declan Rice, people like him. They were talking, obviously, at the time, they were talking 60, 70 million quid for him. I don't think you'll get that for him once they're relegated. No. I really don't. I just don't think David Moyes gets it. I mean, even when he was at Everton, I mean, I think it was one or two seasons where they were kind of flirting down towards the bottom. But he's managed Everton, who were kind of, he made built them into a solid top 10 Premier League side when he was there. Manchester United is a different kettle of fish altogether. He went to West Ham before and did all right, didn't he? He then went to Spain. There was, there well, Adam was terrible, awful. terrible performances when he was at West Ham what, the first time. When I say I got Sunderland as well. Yeah, when I say I don't think David Moyes gets it, I mean there was a statement that came out from the club's owners not long ago saying, "If we get relegated to the Championship, that is perilous for our football club. Mm. Perilous." So what was he doing? Try and win the game. Try and win the football match at least, because if if this the future of this football club hinges on you staying in the Premier League. And you're going to be blasé about two teams that you don't think you can beat. I, I just don't understand that logic whatsoever. You can't, you can't afford to throw games away in this division. You can't afford to do it. And he's done it. And I, I just think if they get relegated on the last day, he can go, ah, oh, well, Pellegrini, you know, it was harder, came in. and Fine, but that's not your remit. Your remit is to come in and keep West Ham in the Premier League. And I don't think he's showing the signs that he can do it. What I think is so concerning is that his attempt to get a draw out of that game at best didn't work. No. It, it didn't work. The defence played in a way that was too easy to make chances against. There was they, Like I say, it was too static. And when you play, when you're standing still as a defender, we talk about movement as a strike force and movement in midfield, how you create chances. You need to move as a defensive unit as well. If you're just standing still and you've got attacking players moving around you, if you're there static, it's very difficult to defend against that kind of movement that yeah. Manchester City had. And Liverpool, I mean, Man City... Last night could have had six. Mm. Liverpool will get six at the weekend <laughs> if we play in the same way. Uh, we can't talk about City without talking about FFP. No. And we saw the reaction, maybe not from the players, but we saw it from the crowd, as you would have expected, or those that were there. There were a lot of anti-UEFA chants doing the rounds. But what were most interesting were Pep Guardiola's comments after the game when he was saying again that he loves the club and he'll honour his contract and he'll stay whatever happens. And that included a question about potentially being relegated to the second division. Do you believe him? Do you think if that were to happen, I don't believe for a moment that City will end up in Division 2, but if that were to happen, can you imagine Pep Guardiola still being there? Will he still be there? No. <laughs> Simple as that. I mean, how many times have we seen this before when, when things like that have happened? 
Remember when uh, uh, Juventus ended up getting um, their relegation, deducted points for, yeah. for, for the transfer scandal, whatever it was at the time, uh, and they managed to keep some of the players. And I think did they have. I mean, Didier Deschamps, I think, was their manager. So anyway, but you know, so as long as Guardiola won't stay, if that happens, um, I just don't see how he can. I just don't see how that benefits him. It's going to take a couple of seasons to get back up. I don't think it's going to happen anyway. But if it did, there's no way he's staying. What about if it's just the UEFA ban? If the UEFA ban stands and he's not in the Champions League for two years? I mean, he has to say he's going to stay at the moment. Uh, yeah. He's just doing the PR game. Of course he is, you know, and... and you know, we've seen it with players saying they're going to stay somewhere and then they don't. So I, he's just playing the game. I do worry that if that ban is upheld in, in Europe, that he will go. And it's kind of a nice out for him as well because he's always said he wants, you know, the Champions League's the, the aim for him. He mm. wants to win the Champions League. Uh, with City, he said that. But I just don't see how a top, top level manager like that can, you know, in, in the height of his career, can't be playing Champions League football. People I mean, I mean, can't be managing Champions League football. Sorry. People forget that managers have shelf lives as well. Yeah, yeah. And that it's not so much physically like a footballer, but in terms of their techniques and the way they play. And we've already seen people catch up to Pep Guardiola in terms of, I mean, he was out there as the best, well out there a couple of seasons ago. And you've got other managers that are kind of catching him up, Jurgen Klopp and Tuchel and whatnot, are kind of closing that gap a yep. little bit. And we saw it with Jose Mourinho. He was the best Absolutely. at one point, And now he's a few failed projects under his belt and he's not there anymore. So if Pep does want to win the Champions League again, he has to take the opportunity when it's there. I he has think, to take I, the opportunity now. I think it will be about opportunities as well. And if the right thing comes up for him, I, I won't be surprised. If there's still question marks over it or these, if it doesn't kind of go in City's favour... I do think if the right opportunity comes along, like a Juventus, that sort of thing, mm. I can see him maybe going. Um, if, if it, I think for, for Guardiola, he does pick his kind of his opportunities and, he, and his and his project fairly carefully. Uh, and I think I mentioned this last time I was on the podcast that I think there's only certain clubs that he'd, he'd go to. I don't mm. think he'd just sacrifice City just for a and I think for take, an easy win. He'll take a sabbatical as well, like he did before. Was it Bayern before he took over at Bayern yeah. after Barca? He had a few like a year off didn't he um, I think he'll probably do that after City and I, I actually think he'll see out his contract till 21 I think City will be fine yeah I don't think it's going to happen so he'll probably see it I, I agree I think he'll see it out I mean it'd be interesting can you imagine him in the lower leagues though that'd be brilliant it'd be unbelievable wouldn't it just rocking up on it <laughs> midweek okay. think it we would settle the age old debate of like oh what would happen if he had you know if he was in the lower leagues would he yeah. still be good yeah he would you can't get away with like some nice shiny brogues and a ground, brown cardigan like on the oh. side of the pitch at Salford, can you? You should you? used to have seen Paul Tisdale, the old Exeter manager. <laughs> really? Oh, the oh, flight cap. He, he well, loved yeah. his club, a, a cravat and the lot. Oh, he was all over it. Yeah, it was wicked. Stand corrected. Uh, right, the FFP story has much, much more to come from it over the next few weeks. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast because whenever the news happens, we will be talking about it on this podcast. It is the only daily Premier League show you can get. So click the subscribe button. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to talk about more European action because there is action for Wolves, Arsenal and Manchester United tonight in the Europa League. Plus Spurs played last night in the Champions League. We'll cover all that off next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab, slow cooked, succulent meats, toasted breads, fresh cut salads and our signature sauces. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We are in the middle of a European week with Champions League and Europa League games going on. Previewing tonight's Europa action shortly, but first, Tottenham took on RB Leipzig last night in the Champions League in what Jose Mourinho described as going to a gunfight without bullets. 
I like a good Jose Mourinho analogy. Is that a fair comment to make? Because yes, he's got no son, he's got no Kane, but he's still got Lucas Moura, he's still got Deli Ali, he's still got Bergwin, he's still got Lacelzo. Mm. There's players that can score goals in that Spurs team. So it's just up for Jose Mourinho as a manager to find a system that works. You're right. To use a Call of Duty analogy, he's been pressing the beatdown button, <laughs> the, the melee attack button. That's right over um, my head. <laughs> you know, he's kind of got his gun with no bullets in, but he's using the butt of the rifle to, right. to okay. slash a few people because they did have a couple of chances, Spurs. They did have a few opportunities. Bergvine had a couple of chances. The goalkeeper for Leipzig was in decent form. Um, he made a couple of good saves. But what I will say is Leipzig absolutely flew out of the traps. And we've said that about Manchester City this season. And, you know, talking about a team flying out the traps, within about two minutes, I don't think Spurs had touched the ball. And mm. they absolutely peppered the Spurs goal. All guns are blazing, doesn't even cover it. Lloris, though, made a couple of really important saves in the first one minute, I think, in 13 seconds, if I remember yeah. rightly. Unbelievable couple of saves. And it just goes to show how important it is to be awake as a goalkeeper from the first minute because, I mean, that, that really set the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, Lloris keeping the ball out, that is. In terms of Leipzig, I think we know Julian Nagelsmann's taken a bunch of good players and almost turned them into, not world beaters, but he definitely made them play. Mm. Uh, just like, I mean, I think Sabitzer was his 50th European appearance last night. Uh, and Kunku's a good player. Obviously, Timo Werner's a really good player um, who scored as well. And he might be on his way to Liverpool. He was asked after the game whether he might be on his way to Liverpool. And he said he still needs to kind of step up his game to get to that level. But I just thought maybe the Bayern Munich result for Spurs, was it 7-2, was it, a couple of months ago back in the Champions League? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they got hammered by a German team. I think maybe... We might have seen that again under Pochettino. And I don't know, maybe under Mourinho, maybe I'm giving the manager too much credit. 1-0 was an all right result. And Jose was saying after the game that, you know, he wanted a bit more fairness from the pundits and saying, you know, listen, we've come to a gunfight without any bullets. Mm. Um, what I will say as well, for Leipzig, Ethan Ampadu, who's on loan from Chelsea, absolutely bossed it. Ran the show from midfield. He's been great. He's been really, really good. And mm. I've been very impressive. I actually saw him play when he was 15, when he was at Exeter City, actually, funnily enough. And... He had to get permission from his head teacher to play the game because uh, he was so young. Uh, and you could just see in him then, he played centre-half, I think, um, at 15 in, in a League 2 game, a men's game. And you get a lot of bullies in League 2 football, like a lot yeah. of blokes that kind of just go out to kick you. Um, and, you know, he's he just so composed and so calm on the ball. So I think for Chelsea in future, I think that... Him going to Leipzig under Nagelsmann is a really good learning experience for him. 1-0, as you say, isn't the worst result in the world for Spurs as far as that game is concerned. And Mourinho said as much in his post-match press conference. He said, I'm quite confident that we can go and get a result in Leipzig. But what he said about the league was quite interesting. And He said, we are in trouble. We don't have strikers. We don't have the players we need to compete in the league now. Now, we know Mourinho loves an excuse <laughs> to play defensive <laughs> turgid football and now he has that excuse we saw it at Manchester United when the fans were calling for a more expansive game he'd play a more expansive game he'd play more strikers or a different formation in one game and they'd lose and he'd go told you so this is what happens <laughs> going back to the defensive rubbish football now so is that what we're going to see from Spurs from here on in are we going to see type A Mourinho solid back line football do you know what I wasn't too sure a couple of, if you asked me a few weeks ago I'd have been kind of on on the fence with it but because I've, you've kind of improved the league form and they're now well within a shout of getting Champions League football I think that if he thinks he can get that um, obviously the gap's been closed now and they're only one point I think off off the top four something like that two points mm. um, 
that I wouldn't be surprised if he just goes, he's in purely in the results business now. Mm. Because obviously when he first came in, the results were crazy, weren't he? He was like 3-2 every week. Yeah, I was yeah, like, that's yeah, not yeah. Mourinho, that. No, no, no. So obviously he's, you know, he's not got the, the strike, striking options, which he didn't really address that in the transfer window anyway. I think a lot of people had the concerns. There was a few options out there that he could have gone with just as a, as a stopgap, just yeah. to cover for Kane. But and I think Son was always his plan to do that. But now he's out. He's kind of he's struggling. Yeah, I think you will see that defensive style, particularly for the next two games. And we mentioned this as well on yesterday's show that I think because their next two games are Chelsea in the early kickoff on Saturday and Wolves, two teams around them and two teams who Jose has recently said in a press conference are genuine top four challenges we know yeah. that with Chelsea Wolves he, I think Wolves he fancies Wolves to come up uh, uh, and pick up a few results between now and the end of the season those two games are huge for Tottenham because obviously they're close to each other in the table aren't they those teams um, and yeah I, I think we will see that defensive Mourinho and when he's like I said yesterday when he backed into a corner that's when you see the best of Jose that's mm-hmm. when it comes out you know he, you back him into a corner he's like a he's like an escape artist isn't he you put him in a straight jacket and he'll always find a way to get out of it because that's just what Jose does uh, and getting results in big games is what Jose does apart from last night obviously where they lost 1-0 but I think the next two games in the league Chelsea and Wolves if they don't get results there that could be massively damaging for them and I think that's why he's so concerned because he knows that these next two games are huge in the context of Spurs top four chances they have, they have got a young striker as well is it Troy Parrott yeah, yeah he's, meant, he's meant to be great I've yeah. heard a lot of a lot of Spurs fans have been saying how, how great this guy is So mm. Fergal loves him as well because he's a young Irish international and Fergal Brennan okay. Host a podcast occasionally um, has a lot of uh, interest in in sort of the young Irish players coming through, and he kind of doesn't understand Mourinho's logic of not throwing him in, yeah. saying he's not ready. I mean, well, United threw Greenwood in. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. Ready. And what are your but, other options? Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but so. also, he's probably arguably the, one of the worst managers you could get when it comes to bringing youth players through. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Don't, don't remember his bit of paper with the thirty-two players that he developed or whatever it was when he came to United. But you know, you look at it and you just think he's always been. Very, very reluctant to, to, to throw people in, I think. Troy Parrott's not going to lose you again in football, is he? It's not like bringing in a 17-year-old centre-half or goalkeeper no. where you're worried mm. about them conceding. I mean, it's only he might not be effective. It might be a bit toothless throwing him up front. I mean, but again, it's, it's something that's not going to lose you the game. Um, there's no harm in trying it. And look what happened, um, you know, with Marcus Rashford, for example. Yeah, there were so many injuries yeah. and he came in and now look what's happened to him, so... Yeah, I don't know. Troy Parrott might be an option for Jose, but I mean, like Adam says, it's Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to see that. Let's look ahead to tonight's Europa League games. Three Premier League teams in action, Manchester United, Arsenal and Wolves. We'll kick off with Manchester United's game over in Belgium against Club Bruges. We might see Ingalo making his very first start as well. Good game to find your legs in, I guess, against the... Alex champions of Belgium. It's not going to be the toughest <laughs> in the world, but a decent opposition at the same time. Well, Simon Mignolet is their goalkeeper, so maybe Agallo is licking his chops about starting right. his <laughs> United game. Right this season. I mean, I know it's the Belgium league, but Mignolet's been credited with a lot of the success that they've had this season. I thought, I thought for some reason then, I thought you were going to say he'd been credited with a lot of the success of Liverpool. He, he, <laughs> he, he laid the foundations and Alisson came in and <laughs> it's all been Mignolet's work. No, I mean, he, like, it seems like it's one of those completely typical uh, midweek Europa away games in it for, for United this. Yeah. You, you'd expect them to, to 
to, to get a result tonight, I would personally. Obviously, we, again, we've, they've turned another corner, United. I mean, it's endless, <laughs> in it, the corners? It's like one big maze this season. <laughs> but they've turned another corner after the uh, after the Chelsea game. Uh, to be fair, I mean, we, I think Igalo is he looking like he's going to start tonight or he's going to get some... The suggestion is he might start, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? I think they'll be all right, United. I can see him couple 2-0, uh, 2-1, two two something like that. Lindelof's back in defence, might not start. McTominay is back in training, but probably not going to play as well. Might be a bit too soon for him. Pogba, Rashford still out as well. Here's a good stat for you. United are unbeaten in their last 10 knockout games in the Europa League, which is a good, impressive impressive success rate in the Europa League. I'm sure Solskjaer can do something about that. It also speaks volumes <laughs> that that's a sort of stat that needs to be dug up for United yeah. at the moment, you know, <laughs> to, to put a positive spin on the season. I don't think Bruges maybe will be as easy as a game as people might think looking from the outside. Because if you think of the players that have actually come to the Premier League from Bruges, um, Wesley at Aston Villa and Marvellous Nakamba, both came from Club Bruges. Um, Dan Juma at Bournemouth came from Club Bruges. So, you know... They're, they're as good as it gets in the Belgium League. Yeah. yeah, of course they are. And there's some there's some good players that have come from there. I don't think maybe they're quite up... To, I mean, I, I've said on the podcast before, I'm not a big fan of Wesley. And I don't think the other two have exactly pulled up trees in the Premier League. But you wouldn't expect that coming mm. from the Belgian League. What's interesting is Greenwood actually mentioned him just a moment ago. Uh, he didn't train yesterday. There was an open training session at Carrington. Um, he didn't train yesterday. Uh, so, uh, but Scott McTominay did so we could see a return for him which obviously he's been really important for United and mm. um, everyone's been saying about how good he's been for them this season and, and maybe that's the kind of positive injury boost that Solskjaer needs if United are going to attack the top four this season um, obviously it's not top four tonight uh, it's Europa League and you know that's another avenue to the Champions League so it'd be interesting to see exactly how United navigate the rest of the season because obviously there's still a chance to get top four through the league and there's still a chance to get Champions League football through winning this so I'll have to we'll have to insane. kind of watch it's insane isn't yeah, it's it? crazy the season crazy. that United have had and they've got two options still of getting Champions League football if you're a United fan you're heading off to Club Bruges for the game be careful of the Belgian beers because they can be absolutely lethal. <laughs> they don't taste like they're 8%, but some of them are. All right, Olympiacos versus Arsenal. Who wants to go first with the tough place to go cliche? <laughs> I'm taking that one. Uh, I'll say it if you want, Jim. Go on, then. Oh, it's a tough place to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I took that one for the team. I mean, it's a cliche because it's true, though. Yeah, Olympiacos yeah. are a good team, top of the Turkish division. and uh, it Greek is division. A, Greek division, sorry. And it is a tough place to go. It's a cauldron. Yeah, I mean... Arsenal. I'm seeing a different side to Arsenal uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I saw, and I, I quite like what I've seen actually in in, in, the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, they need. It's just it's so up and down with them. I just I just love them to see them get a little bit of consistency. I think they'll actually go quite far in the, in the Europa League this season. I can see them doing all right. I think Arteta's style of football is probably in some weird way kind of more suited to the European style than it is to the Premier League. I would say. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think they might be all right. But like you say, difficult place to go on a on a on a, on a Thursday evening. A bit of an unknown quantity as well, really, because like you say, someone can be top of a league somewhere else in Europe. Yeah. But it's very hard to know how that. Matches Translate. up, translates to yeah. when you compare it to England. Well, you know. Paul Merson said he'd, he'd win the Greek league with Olympiacos, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the man who was. Well, I don't know. They're only two points clear at the top of the Greek <laughs> yeah, league, by yeah. the way, uh, against Payok. But um, Olympiacos haven't lost a league game this season. Uh, they've conceded nine goals all season in 24 games. They've conceded nine goals and they've scored 50. Wow. So they've got a goal difference of plus 41. So they've that's got ridiculous. that is very ridiculous. Even for the Greek league standards, that's pretty high. Um, and is the, are the other teams around them? Are they? Yeah. So, so the closest challenges are uh, 
Payok, which is on, they're on 58 points. Yeah. Um, and then AEK Athens are way behind, nine points behind them. So it's between Olympiacos and And what Payok. about their goals conceded? Is that like a... Uh, goals against for Payok is 21. Right, so, so it is, it, a, Olympiacos are amazing. So, just that the, the league is yeah, like that. So their goal mm. difference is 41 Olympiacos and the nearest challengers have got 28 yeah, points. So, so it's, it's very, The defence is ridiculous. Um, what was interesting, I thought uh, Ozil's going to be missing for Arsenal tonight. His wife's about to give birth to his first child, yep. I think. So but Arsenal um, are pretty used to playing without yeah, Messi. exactly. Ozil. What I did find interesting, which I didn't realise until <laughs> Even yesterday. Even when he's on the pitch as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't realise until yesterday. Um, Matteo, I forgot. Oh, I forgot about him. Matteo Guendouzi was actually left out of the Arsenal squad for the 4-0 win over Newcastle mm-hmm. in the Premier League because supposedly he had a massive bust-up with Arteta yeah. during warm weather training in Dubai when the winter break was on. And interestingly, Guendouzi, I think, has been one of Arsenal's better yeah. players this season. But since Emery's gone and Arteta's come in, I, I guess I've not really seen too much of him and I've not really noticed it. Uh, he'll be back in the squad tonight for Arsenal. Be interested to see whether he gets any game time or not, mm. and whether that rift has been patched up. I don't think because a I think he's an exciting young player. Is always a bad thing. No, but he's kind of been punished by, for it by being left out of the Premier League squad. Yeah. Well, I think um, it's quite interesting with the Europa League selection that Arteta will make tonight and going forward as well, because particularly under Emery, the Europa League was being used as a place for Arsenal to give their younger players mm. game time. It was very young teams, particularly in the early stages. At what point? Does a manager in the Europa League go, this is serious now. We've got a good chance of winning it. Even if the youth team have got you to the, the last 30 or the last 16 or whatever it is, when do you start to go, right, we're sending the big guns into this one? The weird thing is is that you could probably argue that some of Arsenal's best players this season have been the young guns. Yeah. You know what I mean, so you've got, you know, Saka... Martinelli's been class, Absolutely. you know, so you could argue, for me, I, I just keep playing them, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you can't, they're probably the their first choice, certainly Saka, you know, he's kind of made that he position his awesome own now. against Newcastle. Yeah, Saka. unbelievable. So, you know, I think with, with Arsenal, I think the, the main thing for Arteta is, I still don't think he's found his strongest 11. I don't think he knows what it is. I don't think his strongest 11 is necessarily, I know it sounds weird, but the 11 best players individually he's got on the team don't make the best team yeah. for Arsenal. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that, like you say, when you get to the sort of the you know last sixteen, then you've really got to start thinking about it. But I think that the team that he's putting out now, on paper, you might argue and go, oh, "There's a few young players in there." I don't know, but I think that he's actually on the co- on course to finding the best blend that he can get to, to get this team going. Mm, mm, so yeah, yeah I play what he's playing. It's yeah, I'd agree bad. with that. I think the young players as well have been really good for Arsenal, and and that's a positive. Um, moving forward as well because I think Arteta's been kind of credited with the development of Sterling albeit he was not a young player but kind of turned him from being okay for City to world class for City he's Mm. kind of the one that's been given a lot of the credit for the work on the training ground I've just kind of taken a look at Olympiacos's fixtures and although they've got a 40 odd goal difference and not lost a game this season in the Greek League weirdly this might be a good time to play Olympiacos for Arsenal because their next game after this Europa League game tonight they've got on Sunday they've got Payok who are closest to them in the league. Then they've got Arsenal again, um, obviously in the reverse fixture. Then there's another league game. And then they've got two Greek Cup semi-finals back-to-back against Payok again. Wow. So they've got like like four or five huge games in quick succession. So whether that might take any steam out of them for the second leg back at the Emirates, we'll have to wait and see. If you're an Arsenal fan going to Greece for the Olympiacos game, watch the uh, Ozo. Or Uzo. Uzo. Yeah. Uzo to <laughs> Basically, really you're just cool. telling everyone to watch the beers <laughs> yeah. everywhere they go. No matter which European, European yeah. country yeah. you're going to. And if you're, uh, if you're in Wolverhampton tonight, watch out for the John Smiths. <laughs> well, it is Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Espanyol. Here's a stat for you. Guess this one. So Wolves have won nine of their last ten games in Europe. 
which is a pretty impressive stat. Guess how far back that stretches? Oh, it's got to be it's 1950. Got... I'm going to say 1955. 1973. Oh. <laughs> that stat goes back to. They've only played 10 times in the last, what, however many years that is. But they're doing all right. <laughs> that reminds me of when uh, Portsmouth won the FA Cup in 1939 and then World War II happened. So we technically <laughs> have held the FA Cup for the longest <laughs> with five years. No one's ever done that before. I mean, credit where it's due for Wolves, though. They've been a bit of a surprise package in Europe. Earlier on in the season, I and many, many other people said they're going to struggle this season because they're season was starting back in July with the Europa League qualifiers and then they played through all them and the Premier League would just seem too much of a stretch with this size squad they have. But they've managed the Premier League well. They've managed the Europa League well as well. They've done both in, well in both competitions. They've yeah. just they've mm. done... I mean, like you say, there's a lot of people were, were writing them off this season saying, oh, well, watch, him, watch the league form dip and the whole cliche thing that when, it, when a team outside the, the kind of the traditional top six that we've now become accustomed to gets European qualification. Everyone's so quick to jump on that bandwagon of going, oh, well, this is it. They'll, they'll probably finish mid-table, lower, you know, they'll be in yeah. trouble. But they've not done that at all this season. And like you say, in Europe, not only have they done well, they've actually played well as well. They've actually played really nice football. They've not had to sacrifice the style that, you know, Nuno's wanted to play. Um, and I think I think they'll do all right. I think they'll get a result against Espanyol. Uh, you know, and you think to yourself, you, you 10 years ago, if you'd have said Wolves versus Espanyol in Europe, you'd have been thinking, what? Mm. But now it just seems, I don't have any doubt about a Wolves team getting a result in Europe now. Particularly yeah. as the arse has completely fallen out of Espanyol this year. Yeah, well, that they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, bottom yeah. of La Liga, aren't they? But you did yeah. say it a minute ago, Jim, it's, it's almost irrelevant how league form translates oh, yeah. to European football. I mean, you just never know, do you really? I mean, how Espanyol are going to play this. I did see, I can't remember which defender it is, but the the defender that was put up for press duties for Espanyol is the one that's going to be marking Adama Traore. Right. So basically they're asking, um, how scared are you? How many nappies have you packed um, for the trip to Molyneux? He's a beast. But he is he? a monster. And that's the thing. I've never seen a football player quite like him I don't think I mean there's Akin Fenwar at Wickham Wanderers um, obviously who's the strongest man and he prides himself on being the strongest footballer in the world but that's you're talking League One football and well we're talking about Mikel Antonio earlier on and he is probably as yeah. close as you get because yeah. he is a sure. unit but he looks like a beanpole next to yeah, Troy but that's the thing Akin Fen was big and strong and you don't really want to be defending against him in a tight man-to-man situation where the ball's coming into the box and he can get a header yeah. on you but you'd, always, fa- you'd fancy beating him for pace you'd fancy you know? beating him yeah. over a 60 yard sprint Adama Traore Imagine the weight of Akin Fenwell running towards you at good speed. Mm. You'd be, yeah, of course you're going to be scared and, you, and you're going to be worried. I think um, Traore's 100 metre speed, because I looked this up earlier in the season, it's 10.6 seconds crazy. or something insane like that. That's, that's like, I mean, this is professional rugby winger standard, isn't it? Well, he's already been tapped pace. up for um, American football. Oh, really? After this, after his football career ends, um, which I just think's incredible. So any of our sort of uh, North American listeners that are into your NFL... Um, and you kind of obviously you would like the Premier League listening to this show. Can you see Adama Traore <laughs> playing in the NFL in future? Because there's a lot of people that have discussed this, so it'd be interesting to know if people get in contact with us on Twitter and let us know whether they can see Adama becoming a, an NFL <laughs> player. Because um, I can see it happening. How long do you think we'll hang on to him for, though? Do you think he's gone in the summer? Where's That's he? yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's too much so, hesitation to, to the there. League, to another Premier League club, though, no, I don't think. Do you really? I think you go. Uh, I think I think, go back abroad. Well, again. everyone was saying. Obviously, we were linked to him. City. We were linked to him. We were saying if we, if um, didn't he come from Barcelona originally? Yeah, yeah. But we were saying if Sané goes, then it might be some sort of you know replacement for him potentially and. I'd love to see him at City. I'd the, love to see him. They'll be interested in him. I think that's 100% sure. And, I mean, you, you want to say, 
yes, he will move to a bigger club, but at the same time, you don't want to do Wolves down because they are making strides in becoming a decent-sized club and regular top six contenders in the Premier League. So yeah. why would he leave? And, mm-hmm. and also, the fact that they, they qualified in such a struggle for this Europa League, the start of the season, their Premier League form definitely yeah. was not up to standard because of their qualification for the Europa League. They started this qualification campaign in July. So, I mean, if anything... That's going to make them want to do more in this competition because they've been the, they've been there they've done the hard yards right from the start and done all the qualifications so surely I think we're not going to let this slip now against Espanyol. I've just googled Adama Traoré's weight as well. Apparently he's only seventy two kilos, which is eleven point three stone. I mean that's that's about the same weight as me. How, t- no how tall way. is he? I don't know how tall Adama is. Maybe his head's full of helium. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like lifting <laughs> him off the scales. Well, I googled his top speed and his top speed is twenty two point nine nine miles an hour. Which means he can't run outside schools. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, he's five foot eight. Right, uh, okay. Uh, so he's fairly one, small. 1.8 yeah, meters yeah, is yeah, compact. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. taller than five foot eight. Isn't he? I think he looks it. massive. I'm not having this. It, it's, the internet's full of lies. Yeah, 72 kilos. There's no way a man. He's, one of his legs weighs 72 kilos. <laughs> so we're going for Wolves of the win anyway against yep. Espanyol tonight. Yep. We don't, might be an upset, but the stats suggest that Wolves are in for a victory. Right, that is it for Football Social Daily. Adam, Niall, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers, Cheers Jim. Jim. Make sure you hit subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Tomorrow, if you're struggling in your fantasy football league, there is still time to turn it around. We'll have advice from the guru, Kieran, on the fantasy football transfers you need to make. If you've got a question for the guru, you can get them on Twitter as well, at the Sports Social. Get your questions in there and we'll answer them on tomorrow's podcast. See you then. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Cooked to order and freshly prepared every time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.